book of Titus. Chapter 1. Say amen when you're there. Amen. All right. Titus is in the T's. Funny enough, all the T's are right together. Thessalonians, Timothy's, and Titus. So if you turn to a T, just keep going. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. Huh? The words? No, I think we're good tonight. Thank you, honey. I'm just trying to figure out how I would put a stool to put my drink on. I'll just stick it right here. All right. Praise the Lord. Should get you all home out of here by about 10 o'clock. Amen. That's good. He's not joking. No, I am joking. I'm... Praise the Lord. All right, here we go. Titus chapter 1, verse 1, reading out of the King James, says, Now Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. Praise the Lord. So we know who wrote the book. Who wrote the letter? Paul wrote the letter to Titus. Now, if you was going to put this in a chronological order, you could probably stick it somewhere between 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. All right. 2 Timothy actually was some of the last words of Paul before he was uh, martyred. And um, in Titus, he is writing, who is one of his sons in the faith. As a matter of fact, Titus was kind of his go-to man for, he was like a troubleshooter. Paul would send Titus to areas that he needed to go before Paul and prepare the ground. When they were having trouble in Corinthians, uh, Corinthi uh, Corinthians, Corinth, there it is, Corinth, thank you. He would send Titus. As a matter of fact, Titus was one of the guys that Paul had with him in Jerusalem when there was a controversy about whether a Gentile should be circumcised to be saved, whether they actually had to take on the Jewish, become a Jew first, and then they could become a Christian. And Titus was the one that was in question at this time. And so, you know, he was like, I say, he was like one of Paul's right-hand guys. Timothy was another one, all right? And so, Titus is what we call one of those pastoral letters. Titus, 
was written by Paul when we're going to see here in a minute. Titus was pastoring in the island of Crete. Um, Timothy was in Ephesus when he wrote the letters to Timothy. And these are what are known as the pastoral letters that Paul wrote. All right. So they have a, a kind of a more. You can feel Paul's endearment to these men as he's writing these letters. All right. So bear that in mind. All right. So we saw that Paul is a servant of God. We know that that word servant is the word dulios, bond slave. OK, Paul said, I'm not my own. All right. And a, a true surrendered Christian is somebody that treats themselves or looks at themselves as that we are now a slave to the will of God. All right. We are not our own. We've been bought with a price. Amen. And he says, an apostle of Jesus Christ. You know, a lot of people say that uh, Matthias, when in Acts, when they were trying to replace uh, Judas, thank you, that was betrayed the Lord. And they, what did they do? They cast lots, didn't they, Acts says. They cast lots and the lots fell on Matthias. Well, you never hear of Matthias again in the Bible. But I got an idea that God already had a plan. Because later on, on the road to Damascus, Jesus was going to call his disciple and he did call him. And Paul, even though he was or was not accepted by many, Paul had the full credentials that he was Jesus Christ's apostle. And he never minced words about that. All right. The Bible says he did not confer with flesh and blood for his assignment but he received his instructions from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Galatians tells us about that. Now, he says here, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, or for the faith of God's elect. All right? Paul's mission was to increase the faith of God's elect. All right? And the acknowledgement or teaching or bringing knowledge of the truth, which is after or which leads to godliness. All right. So that's the pattern there. So Paul was called to preach faith. Paul was called to teach the truth. And when the truth is acknowledged, it leads to godliness. Amen. The reason why we've got a lot of crazy, flaky Christianity out there is people are not taught sound doctrine. Amen. Sound doctrine is not because we want to be stuffy or, you know, we want to kind of be over intellectual. Sound doctrine is to teach the knowledge of the truth because it's when you know the truth, right? The truth will set you free. And also knowing the truth will produce a godly lifestyle. Amen. And so that's what Paul's mission was. And he said the faith of God's elect. Now, Pastor Lonnie, he discussed the election a little bit. Um, go with me over to First uh, Peter real fast. First Peter, 
And we're going to be at chapter 1. And Peter writing here, in verse 1 we'll start. Say amen if you're there. First Peter chapter 1, verse 1 says, Now Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus and Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, verse 2, elect according to the what? The foreknowledge of God, the Father, through the sanctification of the Spirit, unto the obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Now try to tell me there's no trinity in the scripture and verse 2 will prove you wrong. We have a beautiful picture of the trinity there. And we see that the elect are, are they're elected according to the foreknowledge of God. Now if you guys remember last time I taught, um, when we were in Romans, when Pastor was away last time, we talked about the whole thing, you know, this controversy between free will and God's election according to foreknowledge. And you guys remember that parable that I gave you? Ironside is a great Bible commenta uh, commentator, and he gives the most simple illustration on how to reconcile foreknowledge of God and free will of man. All right? So you want to imagine yourself in the hallway of humanity walking down a corridor and uh, all of humanity is walking down this corridor and above a door is a sign that says whosoever will let him freely come all right now free will says I can go in and you walk open you open the door and as you open the door you see a banquet table and at that table you find your name placard where you're supposed to sit. And as you pull up a chair, you look above the door you just entered and you see foreknowledge of God. So free will is on one side of the door and foreknowledge is on the other side. Same door. And who's the door? Jesus said, I am the door. Amen. Amen. So Jesus is saying, whosoever will, let him come unto me, right? So that is the free will of man. Once the free will of man chooses to walk into the door of salvation through Jesus Christ, in God's perspective, it was the foreknowledge of God. He chose the elect by his foreknowledge. He knew it was going to happen, but it was the same door, free will on man's part, God's foreknowledge on his part. Amen. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's not a very hard thing. We just sometimes we overcomplicate stuff because we sometimes think that the Bible is either one way or that way when really the Bible teaches the whole counsel of God. And you need to in, in, embrace it. People say, well, I'm a Calvinist or, or, you know, I'm an Armenian. Hey, man, if you read the Bible through and through, you're going to find text for both camps. Amen. Amen. Yeah. You're going to find it there. Right. You're going to find saved by grace and you're going to find we need to work and we're called to good works. You'll see both in there. We can't reject one to embrace the other. Amen. Praise God. So that's my little tidbit on elect according to the foreknowledge of God. 
we're back over to our text here in Titus. So the question is, before he answered that, opened that door, was his name tag already there, or did it appear when he opened it? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just glad. I'm just glad my name tag's there. Now, it says in verse 2, the hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. All right. But he has in due times manifested his word through preaching. Listen, I'm a big, I love St. Francis, Francis of Assisi and all that. And we've heard that saying, you know, Preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Okay? And that is a true saying to a, to a certain extent. Okay? We need to show the world that we are Christians by our actions, by the way we love one another, the Bible says. They'll know we are Christians by the way we love one another. But we need to preach. We need to open up our mouths and proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel, Paul did not establish the churches throughout the Roman Empire by going around and taking care of the poor. I'm sure that was an aspect of it, but Paul established churches by preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says... How is faith? Faith comes by hearing of the word. Amen? Amen. That's how faith comes. And you can't have salvation unless you have faith. And you can't have faith unless you hear the word. And they said, he said, how will they hear the word unless they have a preacher? And how will there be a preacher unless someone sends them? Amen? So we must preach. So, yes, I like that saying. It sounds really cool, all right? But it does not establish faith in a person's heart to receive Jesus Christ. It may open the door that you can preach faith in Jesus Christ, but it will not save somebody. The preaching of the word is what saves a human being. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. So he said right there, in verse 3, but hath in due times he manifested his word through preaching, which was committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. Now we know that Paul received his, um, his orders from Jesus. Um, we pastor covered that really well in the Ephesians study. So we're going to move on here to verse 4. It says, now to Titus, my own son after the common faith. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. So most of the letters that we've been reading from Paul, they always say grace and peace, don't they? Yes. But the pastor here needs a little mercy as well. And you'll notice in Titus and in Timothy's letters, he puts that extra word mercy in there and is in his greeting there so it's grace and peace to the churches but to the pastor it's grace mercy and peace praise the lord 
How many knows you can't have the peace of God until you have the grace of God? Now, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now, for this cause, left I in Crete. Now, Crete is an island in the middle of the Mediterranean. All right, those of you that got maps in the back of your Bibles, you'll know that Crete is the huge island. It was a stopping ground, a shipping port, a place of uh, a safety, a harbor of rest for when ships would come through. You know, when, this, when the storm seasons were in, a lot of times, you know, ships would stop in there and they'd have to harbor up there until the seasons were over. And it was just that, that place. It was like a, a passing through. Amen. And, um, and Titus, look what he says. For this cause left I thee in Crete. So Paul and Titus apparently visited Crete and Paul left Titus there and he went on and he's writing this letter and talking to Titus and saying, I left you in Crete and this is the reason that you should set in order the things that are wanting. So obviously, there are some things that need to be accomplished in the church. There are some things that Paul didn't have a chance to establish while he was there. And he left Titus there to do these things. What were these things? The first thing he said is, I left you there to ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. In other words, Titus, the same way that I appointed you to be in Crete, the same way that I appointed you to be uh, an under-shepherd of me, you need to choose men and appoint them over the various cities and towns in the island of Crete. No, it's like a pastor. He's, a point, he's putting a, a, a leader, a leaders in churches. Well, I know that, but I didn't mean to be disrespectful. No, y'all, I didn't take it as disrespect. Like a, like a government, a setup, a, a situation. In the church. Like a government? In the church, but not really. To establish deacons and elders. And... I'm not really sure I understand what you're saying, Laura. Sorry, when you said government there, he just, he just said, he just simply said, Ordain elders in every city in Crete. Are you reading a note there? Is that a Bible note you're reading? Okay, yeah, all right. That, that's fine. Well, I'm just going to deal with the text at the moment, if that's all right. And we'll get, we'll get, I'll explain to you a little bit of church government here in a minute, okay? All right. So... I want you to ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. For a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, and not given to wine, nor a striker, or not given to filthy lucre. All right, so 
Paul here, if you notice, he says, I want you to appoint an elder. The word elder there is the word presbyteros or pre, uh, pres, uh, bleh, bleh, bleh. <laughs> presbuteros, presbuteros, all right? That is the word elder. The Greek word for elder is presbuteros, P-R-E-S. B-U-T-E-R-O-S. All right. Now, what I want you to see here is he says, I want you to ordain elders, which is presbuteros. And then in verse 7, after he says, if any be blameless. All right. And then in verse 7, he says, for a bishop must be blameless. All right. So we're not. He's saying, if any be blameless, if any man be blameless, the husband of one wife. All right. Well, obviously, we're talking about the male gender here. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children. For a bishop, now he's saying for a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God. So he swaps words there. He goes from elder to bishop, he's talking about the same man. Amen. Okay? Right. So he says, ordain elders, for a bishop must be blameless. Now the word bishop there is the word episkopos. Now, bishop is what? The word episkopos, which is also means overseer or oversight or manager or steward. So what, now, is the, what is the actual word you said? The word... Bishop, the Greek word there is episkopos. So bishop's not an elder, and an elder's not a bishop. How do you spell episkopos? E-P-I-S-C-O-P-U-S. Hang with me, guys. Hang with me. Hang with me. Now, the point we're making here is that elder and bishop are the same guy. An elder... Presbyteros means just simply a man of age. It is talking about his seniority amongst the people. So elder describes his age. Bishop describes his authority or what his, what his job is. All right. What he, he oversees the church. So elder is an elderly man in age, a senior man that has the oversight of the workings of the church. Same guy, two different words to describe two different things. Okay? Now, go with me over to 1 Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5, verse 1. Say amen when you're there. Amen. All right. Now, it says here, chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Now the elders which are among you I exhort, same word there, elders, the senior men, all right? The elders who are among you I exhort, 
who am also an elder. So Peter's saying, I'm an elder. All right. Was Peter an apostle? Yes. But the apostle was the gift, was a, was a gift of the fivefold, according to Ephesians. All right. The apostle gift was a gift from Jesus for the church to edify for the work of the saints. So he was an apostle, but he was an elder. All right. And he says, the elders which are among you, I exhort who I am also an elder. So he was a man of age. And let me tell you something, okay? I'm not young, but Pastor Les, he's, he's older than me. And I don't think that we should fall into the trap that I see in the modern era of church where we are casting our elders aside and we're looking for young, hip, trendy men to run the things of God. Listen, you, you can be, you can have a, a place in church, but when it comes to the elders of the church, I don't think it's wise to cast off our men and our women who are senior, who are maybe have gray hair because they have lived this life. And many of them have been serving the Lord for over 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And they've seen church trends come and they've seen church trends go. They've seen church trends come and they've seen church trends go. But what have they been? Steady. Steady on because most senior believers in the Lord realize above all what's the most important thing the church should have. And that's the word of God. This word never changes. It don't ever grow old. It doesn't ever go out of tune. It doesn't ever change its song. It stays the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? Amen. And so it's important as a church that we acknowledge elders as our leaders. That we don't cast our elders off. Okay? And I'm using that word to describe a man or a leader. Not saying... He has the title of elder, like we're so used to hearing. Because that's not what Paul is teaching here. Paul's not saying, go and give everybody a badge that says elder. Paul is saying, find the senior men in the community that are, have one wife, that are blameless, that are not greedy and, and, and trying to have a ministry so that they can have a career and have, have money. He's saying, find sober men that are senior in age. He says, and when you do, give them the office of bishop or the oversight of the church. Amen? Amen. And that's what he's saying there. So, chapter 5 of verse 1 says this. I've already read that part. Let's go to verse 2. So elders, I exhort you, he says. Verse 2, feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. All right? So he says, elders, feed the flock, which is among you, taking oversight there. So there are, we have elders, which is the first word we read. 
Then we have this word feed. All right. Now that word feed there. I'm going to have to use my uh, use my iPad here. Where am I at? First five. Chapter five. Right. All right. Hold on a minute. Let me just get my little notes here. All right, feed the flock. Feed the flock comes from the word, boy, these Greek words, man. Pomeno, pomeno. Anybody ever use Blue Letter Bible? It's a great, great website. You can use it. And they actually have a little speaker that'll tell you how to pronounce these words. I, I press that thing five times and I still forget how to pronounce these things. But the word there means to tend as a shepherd or lead to pasture. Okay? Lead to pasture. So feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking oversight. So here in those two verses, we have the man in his age. We have what he's to do. And we have his authority. All right? The elder... Shepherds or feeds. Shepherd doesn't mean lord over. When I was in the UK, when we moved over there to Great Britain, we just got in there on the tail end of what was called the shepherd movement. It was a devastating movement in England. It crushed people's faith in the Lord because they would. the shepherding movement was a movement where church leaders would set themselves up and people had to go through the shepherd to buy a house, to get married, to change jobs. Everything had to go through the leadership of the, of the church, which is, that's just stupid. Now, listen, there's a few good brothers of mine that I would have loved to have said, hey, brother, don't marry that person. Don't marry him. You know, but I don't have the right to say you cannot marry. You're forbidden to marry this person or you will be pushed out of the church. That's just bad. That's not right. And that's not the kind of shepherding that Peter is talking about here. What is he talking about? He's talking about feeding the church the word of God. Amen. Feed the word of God. The word of God never gets old, you know, it is what, I don't know what it is, gang, about this book. It is alive. And when you read it, and when we get together like this, and we study it, and we chew on it, there is a supernatural effect that happens on the believer. Okay? And that is, it's just, it's a fact. It just happens. And I don't know about you, but... Sometimes my flesh hates reading it. My flesh is like, ah, oh, man, especially now with technology. What was that last Netflix episode? Where'd I leave off at? You know what they say? Dust on the Bible, drought in the heart. Amen. Dust on the Bible, drought in the heart. We're spiritual beings now. We're no longer physical and attached to this earth. This is a living spiritual book. And when we take its spiritual words and we input it into us, it does something, man. It just changes you, praise God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Yeah, brother. Yeah, I think it's, it's very obvious that the first qualification 
or any of the elders, bishops, ministry is being blameless. Blameless. Yep. Amen. Blameless. If any be blameless, Amen. though. Amen. You see, notice he, later he says a bishop must be blameless, but he's not Amen. saying just the bishops. You're, it's, you're not, not, it's not the bishop must be blameless. First, he says, if any man be blameless, that's what you're looking for. Okay? Any man blameless. Amen. Because I think sometimes we get... Well, I'll get to that later. So let's go back to uh, Titus then where we were at then. So you see, the, you see there we have the elder, we have the, the shepherd, and we have the bishop. Three different functions, three different words describing three different areas, but one man. Amen? One man. One man. Uh, what's that? Elder. Shepherd and bishop, all right? I'm putting shepherd there for to feed the word pononeo is, is the means to lead the pasture, all right? In other words, it's, you know, that's what a shepherd does. Huh? He takes whatever, you know, flock he's over, cattle, whatever it is, whatever livestock, and his main job is to make sure that they're not in a pasture where there's no grass growing. Amen, you know? We can't have churches where people are being led to a mud field. You know, we got to have grain and grass. We got to eat. We got to feed the lambs the word of God. Yes, sir. Yeah. A minister that had fallen but had been forgiven, would that disqualify him as being a bishop after God's forgiveness for whatever his fault was? I, yeah, well, here's the thing. The bishop or the elder was appointed, right? And to me, in my opinion, who did the appointing? Who is he accountable to? Paul appointed Titus, obviously. So if Titus had an episode where he had a, a, a moral failure or something like that, who would Titus be accountable to? The church in Crete or Paul? Paul. He would be accountable to Paul. Amen. And it would be up to Paul in his discretion and his leading of the Spirit to determine the future of Titus's ministry. Amen? And everybody has different ways, and they know that individual. All right? And this is what I want to get to as well. There's an appointing and there's an anointing. There's an appointing and there's an anointing. God anoints an individual. That is without question. The anointing comes from God. But the appointing comes from who? Man. God anoints, man appoints. The problem we have when it comes to this scenario in the churches is we have people that are anointed, but man won't appoint. We have people that are appointed that God has not anointed. The key to successful church leadership is acknowledging the anointing on an individual's life and appointing them to the bishop or an oversight or a ministry or something, okay? And unfortunately, we have a lot of people that shouldn't even be in ministry 
But because somehow or another they were good buds or whatever, they were appointed. They weren't anointed. But we got a lot of people that are anointed, and for some reason, because they rub somebody up the wrong way with their prophetic uh, edge, or maybe the way they keep themselves or whatever, you know, they're, they're, they're pushed back. They, they, you don't fit. Well, you know what that person should do? They need, to, they need to go find somebody that will acknowledge the anointing and will appoint them. Amen. Okay? You can't just sit year after year after year after year. Now, I'm not trying to preach anybody out of the church tonight. But I'm just saying, you have to, you, have to, you know, find people that are like this. God anoints and man appoints. Because that's what he said right here. Paul, Paul didn't say wait for God to appoint men in Crete. Paul told Titus, Titus, you appoint. So Titus being a man does the appointing. Amen. So God anoints, man appoints. All right, so. Blameless. Amen. The word blameless. Now, let me get back here. All right, so talking about the leaders here, he says they should be blameless. Um, they should not be a person that brings reproach, that brings, um, you know, when people, when the guy walks by, people are just like, yeah, man, I don't know about that guy. You know, that's how unsaved people, unsaved people, they were deal this is particularly important for the outside world. The outside world we should not cause reproach. Yes, the outside world should not look on us with like, uncomfortable. Are they uncomfortable in our sin if we preach righteousness in Jesus Christ? Fine. But uncomfortable with your actions or my actions or the way we conduct business or the way we handle our everyday affairs of this life, that should not cause reproach. We should be above blame in those things. Because the steward of God should not be self-willed. All right? Remember, we're a slave to Jesus Christ. We don't have a will. Someone said, well, you're affecting my rights. <laughs> what rights? I don't have any rights in the kingdom of God. My rights have been laid at the foot of the cross, surrendered to the lordship of Jesus, and my goal and aim is to do and be what he says. Amen? Amen. And what did it say? It says, Jesus counted it not robbery, but humbled himself. He put off his glory in heaven, and he humbled himself as a man. In other words, he didn't think he was getting a raw deal by putting on flesh. And walking as a man. 
He didn't have rights. He laid his rights down to do the Father's will. Amen. And he's our example. All right. So they shouldn't be self-willed. They shouldn't get angry easily. All right. They should not be given to wine. Um, they should not be a striker or a brawler. Wow. They should not fight. That's amazing. You'd think that that just would be an automatic thing. Yeah, I'm going into ministry. Um, make sure you don't punch somebody in the mouth. <laughs> it's, he actually had to say this. He actually had to say, now listen, don't find people that are going to smack people around if they get angry. <laughs> he says that that's not to be a brawler. All right. Not to be a striker, not to be a brawler. The funny thing about that word striker is it means actually um, a macho is the word there. And, you know, to be macho is what? Macho man. Macho, macho man. I got to be. A macho man, tough guy on the street, right? But in the Greek, if you stick a, a, a A in front of a word, it is a negative or it is a non. So a macho means to be not macho. All right. So those of you that want to be macho, man, the, Paul's actually saying, look, we're actually to, to not be macho. We're not to have that tough macho attitude or you just don't mess with me or you walk into a room and you're putting off this oar where I better not say anything man or I'm going to get smacked by that guy. We're not to have that tough guy persona. Amen. Amen. Hold on just a second. So he said don't be a striker. Alright. The other thing he says is don't be given to filthy lucre. What a funny name. Lucre. You know what the word lucre translates to? Eager for gain. Does it spell that? Eager for gain. Eager or lucre? Which one? Lucre, L-U-C-R-E. Filthy lucre. All right? Filthy lucre is just one word in the Greek there, and it just means an eager for gain. You do not choose men, Titus, that are looking to increase. Really? What did John say? I must decrease. He must increase. Amen? I must decrease. I'm not looking to expand my portfolio. That's not what you're looking for, Titus. You're not looking for those kind of cats. You're looking for guys that are, you know, that are not like that. So he says, also, they should be a lover of hospitality. In other words, they should be good to be around. They should be welcoming. They should be, you know, people that, you know, when they, when they come to your house, they feel at ease. Do you ever go to somebody's house and you feel like you walked into a museum? You know, it's like, oh, my gosh, don't touch that. Don't do that. And it's like you go and you go to the bathroom. And I'm sorry if somebody's house is like this, but the toilet, the toilet tissue is got some sort of uh, 
it's shaped in a triangle and kind of looks a bit like a flower. And you don't know whether to rip that toilet paper off and use it or not because you just ruined a work of art. I mean, you know, what, what, what do I use here? You know, everything is so perfect, you don't want to touch anything. Well, if you come to my house, you will not find origami in the toilet roll dispenser. You'll be lucky if you find toilet roll in the dispenser with all my kids. They do not know the 10 sheet rule in my house. So, yeah, exactly, exactly. So anyway, but given the hospitality, you know, don't be afraid to have people over in your house. You know, like I say, some of the most comfortable places I've ever been in is when I walk in and it's not spick and span. Because think about it, if I go to your house or you come to my house and we've spent four hours cleaning da, 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 and then, then when you leave or I leave, we're like, I'm wore out. <laughs> hey, we're coming over next week. Oh, no, no, no. Another four hours of cleaning. No, it's, it's not. It's not fun. It doesn't have to be that way. Now, I'm not saying, you know, you should, you know, not have a, a, a tidy house. I'm just saying it should not be uncomfortable on you to have guests or the person that's coming. You know, it should be relaxed, hospitable, enjoyable. Amen. You feel at home. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> if people or Christians don't know this or do this, and we're talking about bishops, elders, the condition of the situation, the, the, the government, wrong word, the operation of, the, uh, of how the church should be affiliated and operated, mm. um, according to Paul, and um, where does it leave the church, the people in it, or the lost. I mean, I'm not trying to be a, a bearer of, of confusion, yeah. but I, I guess if I was going to... Well, let me just stop you right there for a minute, Laura. Let me just stop you right there. Okay. I mean, because with all due respect, that is, a, that is a study Bible, and it's another man's commentary that you're reading out of. <laughs> the study Bible that you were reading out of? I mean, this question... Oh, you... Oh, I thought you were reading out of a study note because you threw me off that last time. Because I was, because what I was going to say is I can't, I can't, I can't have a question and answer session over Bible notes in a study Bible. Okay. All right. Mm. So to speak, vote in to be um, doing the, the offices of these things. Yeah. If we don't, if we don't, and, and I blame me first. If if I don't understand, even though I read, if I don't understand what needs how to uh, 
how to entreat that, of what I expect out of a, what I think of an elder or a deacon, or how the operation of the church, but let me read it again. If people or Christians, that means either or, don't know this, what you're explaining, or do this the way you're explaining it, which is right, um, where does it leave the church in the operation of the church to make God very happy? The church, the people, where does it leave the lost looking on us? <coughs> Well, I personally, and there's different opinions on this, and there's different denominations. Let me, let me answer your question. I, I don't think the con general congregation appoints a spiritual head. I think a spiritual leader is accountable to somebody above him that has appointed him over an area. So it's got nothing to do with the, the people, and now there are many denominations that structure their churches totally different. And if you follow church history, when, there was the, when the government was a king, the church government would just have one spiritual head and he would rule similar to a king. But then when you started moving into, um, you know, democracy ran governments, then you started having more congregational governments where congregations would, um, would be participating in, in, you know, electing leaders and things like that. We have... A, a dual system that works here. Congregations elect the deacons, um, which are the, you know, the over, oversee the business of the church. Um, and then those deacons, the pastor, uh, the pastors in this church are accountable to the deacons. The deacons, if they don't like the job that I'm doing, they have every right to tell me to hit the road. But according to our constitution, that doesn't go through a, a, through the whole church, because the church has elected individuals to make those kind of decisions. But let me finish. We've got also we're an Assemblies of God church, and Assemblies of God, the pastors who are in Assemblies of God church are accountable to the regional presbyter, the area presbyter. You know, those men have an accountability that's above them. And they are in harmony with the leadership of the church. Okay? So if they weren't in harmony with the leadership that's in this church, then we wouldn't be here. Okay? So it's kind of like a double thing. It's kind of like, yes, the, the, the congregation has appointed deacons and the deacons... You know, at one time it was the deacons that, you know, asked pastor to come on, Pastor Lonnie. All right. It was the deacons that asked Catherine and I to come on. OK, but we're in harmony and we're accountable to our, pre our, our, our area presbyter. All right. And, and so and so it flows down. And most of the time where you have church problems is, is it's only here and down. There's just, it starts here and moves down. There's no up. It's not going up and down, up and down. And that's when a church dries up and becomes, it doesn't become fruitful because there's not a flow. You know, leadership needs a flow. It needs to flow Amen. from the up and down, back and forth, up and down, just like a healthy lake has an inlet and an outlet. If you've only got an outlet, 
If you've got leadership that's not accountable to anybody above them, you're going to eventually have some problems. It's totally important. Yeah, man, we're discussing it. And it's on tape, and you can get the tape, and you can pass it on. All right, so here we go. So back to verse 9 then. Oh, we didn't finish verse 8. Now, a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men. The company that these people should keep is people that are good men. You know, I don't need to be hanging down there at Belterra betting on horses. Amen. It's not a good atmosphere, and you're probably not going to find a lot of good men. You know, I don't need to be doing that. That's not the kind of company that I want to keep. All right? I have to be a seeker of good men. And our fellowship and your fellowship would, should be with good people. Yes, we should minister to, to you know, e evil men or men that are not saved. And when I mean evil, I don't... I don't mean that like in a derogatory way. I just mean men that are ungodly. You know, we will have fellowship. We will, we, you know, anybody work with somebody that's not saved? Anybody hear anybody blaspheme today on the job? Did anybody cuss? Heard a few myself today, you know? You're going to be around these people. You can't just, you know, we can't all join a monastery, you know? We're going to be in the world, but we're not of the world. Amen. We're in the world. We're not of the world. And, and we need to make sure that our friends are godly, that they're good people, that we're not hanging out at the racetrack. Next thing it says, here's we got to be sober. Okay. This is the other thing I love about having an elder as a person who's in leadership or a senior or an old man, all right? You're, they've seen this epidemic of alcohol and temperance. The temperance movement is not a new thing. The temperance movement comes and goes. There'll be seasons where it's a, no, I'm a teetotaler, man. I'm a teetotaler, I don't drink. I'm a teetotaler, I don't drink. Personally, because when I was in the Navy, I was a complete buffoon when I would drink. You know, my wife was reading me out of Proverbs 23 and it talks about somebody who likes to drink and it says they got punched but they didn't get hurt. I didn't feel it. I didn't see it coming and I didn't feel it afterwards. But they wake up and they're like, where in the world did I get all these bruises at? That was me. Okay, I was that guy. Like, what the heck happened to me last night? You know, that was not a good picture. It is not where I wanted to be at. Trust me. Now, the temperance, being temperate is like, it comes and goes. There'll be seasons where, man, it is a strictly, it's a no-drink policy, man. But then the West Coast and the East Coast, they start to get their liberal viewpoints that sink into the church, and somehow they start to move into the middle of America. You know, listen, if you want my advice of whether a Christian should drink or not drink, the answer is do not drink, okay? Don't even 
Don't even try to make a doctrine out of it. Don't even try to, you know, figure out, well, is this right or is this wrong? Or can I have two or can I have one? Or can I drink 0% Heineken or not? You know, it's like, just stay away from it, man. You're going to be a much better person. Trust me, it's going to work out. It's going to work out. Now he says, they got to be sober. All right. They got to be sober. It doesn't take much. I don't. What is the legal uh, legal? If you blow what on a breath analyzer? 0.08. So I haven't had beer in a while. How many beers does it take to get to 0.08? How much? One beer. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was in the world, I never just popped open one cold one. It was always a six-pack, man. Twelve-pack. Case for some. So, if being sober, if you drink more than one can of beer, you are no longer sober. According to the letter written to Titus, leaders must be sober. So, that means don't do it, man. Don't do it. It ain't worth it. Brother Lee. Yeah, we're going to see that word, and the King James translates that to the word grave, G-R-A-V-E. It means to be serious about what we're dealing with here. Amen. To not, it's, it's no game. You know what I mean? It's no game. <laughs> be grave. All right, so he also says just, holy, temperate, and that kind of might be what you're talking about there, Lee. Let's just, verse 8, let's just break that down for a minute while we got a concordance here. So sober is the word sophron, which means of a sound mind, one being sane, curbing one's desires or impulses, being self-controlled. Okay, that is what sober is translated to. And then he says temperate, temperate which means... Having the power over, mastering or controlling or restraining from a desire. So they're kind of similar. One is like your position, I'm sober. And then one is like an attitude of how you, 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 you go about that. Can you see that? All right. So just, holy, temperate, sober. Verse 9 holding fast the faithful word that he has been taught. Now, I have noticed in my life personally, if I am not sober, just, holy, and temperate, I will not hold fast the word of God. Amen. The Bible says, be not drunk with wine, which leads into excess in King James. The NIV is a great translation here. It uses the word debauchery, which I just think is a fantastic word. It says, be not drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. If you look up the old English word of debauchery, it's not something I've used the last couple of weeks, but debauchery means to let down the guard. Anybody like watching boxing? You striker. No, but to let down the guard. 
Paul uses the analogy of a boxer. He says, if you drink too much, you're going to lower your guard. And if anybody's ever done any sports fighting, they'll tell you, you put that guard down, you're gone. You are out for the count. They're going to knock you out. The devil is going to knock your block off. Remember that old game, Rock'em Sock'em with the robots? <laughs> Rock'em Sock'em? You'd rock him, sock him, man, and, and they'd be going like this, and all of a sudden, poosh, and his head would go, and shoot straight up. Well, that's what's going to happen. If you drink too much, you're just going to get an uppercut from the enemy, and it's going to knock your block off, all right? And you will not hold fast the faithful word that you have been taught. It says, hold fast the faithful word as he, has, as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convince the gainsayers. Okay, talking to, remember he's still saying, Titus, choose men who can hold fast the faithful word. Titus, choose men that are going to the scriptures. Don't choose men that are trying to take secular ideas from Starbucks and Walmart and Target and all these corporational thesis and theologies and philosophies. You know, the church is not a corporation. It never has been. The body of Christ is an organism. It is living, moving, active. We are not a business model. We are the body of Christ. And we've got to stop trying to take business philosophies to build the church. There's only one thing that builds the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's the Word of God. Amen. The Word of God gives increase. On the day of Pentecost, the Lord added to the church, and it says they kept to the apostles' doctrine. That's what made the church strong. They kept to the teachings. It doesn't ever get old. You say, well, man, how many times do I need to read the Bible? You mean, once I read it, isn't that all I need? And then I can go find some other new stuff? No, remember what we said in the beginning. The Word of God is living. It's powerful. It's quicker than any two-edged sword. It's spirit, your spirit. So when you hear it and read it, it gets in you and does something wonderful. I don't want to use the word magical, but it is better than a Disney film. It's better than pixie dust, man. I mean, this stuff makes things happen. Praise God. Yeah. All right, I'm almost out of time. Barry? It's not informational, it's transformational. Transformational, that's right, brother. You need to write a book of nuggets, you man. <laughs> Verse 10. He says, Make sure the guys you pick, Titus, are going to be able to teach sound doctrine, to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. In other words, exhort the believers, and you will be able to convince, or, you know, this is the word where we get our word apologetics. Apologetics is not saying, oh, I'm sorry, brother. I'm, I'm just a Christian. I'm sorry about that. No, that's not what apologetic means. Apologetic is defending clearly and accurately our positions in the faith. Knowing what we believe being able to reference to the Word of God what we believe and being able to declare what we believe. Amen? Because remember, if we speak the Word of God to an unbeliever, they're a spirit. Down 
past their head, past their body, past their head, their mind, will, and emotions, past their soul. When I say, when I preach the word, when I speak the word, it bypasses their head. Amen. And it goes right into their spirit, man. Whether they want it to go there or not, there is something on the inside of them that is connecting with that word. And you got to speak that word because somehow or another, all of a sudden, one day this is going to go boom and they're just going to get it. And they don't know why they got it, but all of a sudden, just then they got it. They've been rejecting it for years, but you spoke the word. It went into their spirit and it brought life because there's a spirit man in every person waiting for the spirit word to be connected. Amen. And that's why we got to use the word. We can't use all these fads and trends to try to save people, man. It doesn't work. It may work for a moment, but it crumbles. It's not something to build the church on. And that's what he's saying, Titus. Don't go with those guys that are into gimmicks. You know, I don't care if the church is going to give you a new car today. I don't care if you're going to come and put Christmas gifts under my tree. I don't care if you're going to do backpack things and all that stuff. All those things are great. They, they're, they're nice, but they don't save. Amen. They don't save. So if you're doing those things, if it's like, you know, the price is right or wheel of fortune on a Sunday morning, but there's no gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ being preached, it's just vain. Amen. Now, he says, convince them. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially of the circumcision. Now, who's, he of, the, who's of the circumcision? The Jews. All right. Now, I mean, we can say this now, though, you know, I mean, here in Cincinnati, there's a lot of vain talkers. There's a lot of deceivers. All right. People that just like to talk. If you read all of Paul's letters, he's saying, man, stay away from all those silly debates and talks and people's talking about this, talking about that, talking about this. Talk, 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 talk. Stay away from that. Verse 11 says, their mouths must be stopped. Why is it important? I know I'm going a little long. Give me a second here. We've had some questions. Why is it important? To teach sound doctrine, to exhort and confess with the word of God. Because there are people that like to just talk. They like to deceive. Okay, they're into deceiving people. He says their mouths must be stopped. Because they subvert whole houses. They take out whole houses, these kind of people. They come in and they sound good with all their smooth talk and all their clever ideas and trends and gimmicks. And what they do is they divide houses. It says they subvert. That word subvert means to overthrow or destroy. Because guess what? Guess what happens? They come in. They tell everybody how great it's going to be. 
Come here, do this, look at this, we can do this, we can build this. Everybody comes, everybody builds, everybody gives, and two years down the road, where are they? Goodbye. They're gone. They're not there anymore. Come on, come join, come, come, come do what we're going to do. Come do what we're going to do. You guys over there, come here. You guys over there, come here. Come on. And all of a sudden, five years later, where are they at? They're not even around. They're not even around. Why? Because this is what they're of. And he says, don't fall for that stuff, man. He, first of all, not congregationally, but he's saying, Titus, don't pick people like this. I don't care how beautiful and organized and colorful it looks. It has to be according to the word of God. You know, and I can speak from the heart here because when I was young serving the Lord, I thought, I thought all of the bells and whistles were so important. And what I mean by bells and whistles, I mean, you know, and I'm not trying to, you know, diss any of our brothers and sisters that go to other churches and what they're doing. But I'm just saying for me, I thought it was so important to make everything look good to make everything so beautiful and so organized and so kind of professional and corporate and you could feel like you're really a part of something that's doing something good because look how, look how amazing this place is. They're so organized here. They must be doing something right. They're so organized. But yet you go there for a steak and you're lucky to get a couple of Ritz crackers. Amen. You go there to eat and you feel like I came here. I was coming for something and I left hungrier than when I came. You know, the advertise is going to be all this. It's going to be all that. And I, I've been to this kind of stuff. I've been through this. So he says. These kind of people, they divide whole houses. In other words, they take out churches. Man, they split them right down the middle and destroy them. Teaching the things that they ought not to teach. What are the things that they ought not to teach? Things that are not of the apostles' doctrine. And why do they teach things that are false? For filthy lucre's sake, it says right there. They teach the things that they ought not to teach for gain gain we've experienced this in our family personally I've got loved ones man who have been shipwrecked by these type of people Amen. shipwrecked <laughs> cast to the rocks and devastated because men have come in they've divided houses then they begin to teach what they shouldn't teach they've, they've gathered up to themselves filthy lucre and then they've hit town and they've left. Dash a community to pieces once they've increased their gain. And Titus is saying, you got to raise up the kind of people that will do what? He will rebuke people like this. He will not stand for it. For these vain talkers and deceivers. Of themselves, even a prophet of their own said. So this is saying a prophet from, from Crete. 
He said, the Cretans say they're all liars. They're evil. <laughs> they're evil beasts. They're animals. They're like wild animals over there in Crete. He said, then they're a bunch of slow bellies. In other words, they're lazy and they're gluttonous. They move slow and they eat much. That's a slow belly. You move slow and you eat a lot. I remember when, man, pastor's always on me, man. Jeremy, get in there and get them tables. I want to see no women carrying them tables, breaking down after church banquet. You know? I'm back for trying to get some extra, some extra dessert here, you know? And pastor's on my case, man. Man, don't be a slow belly. Don't be slow to move and quick to eat. <laughs> be quick to move and slow to eat. Get over there and get them tables stacked up. Let's move. We got to work. We got to do some things, you know. That's what he's talking about. But these kind of guys, man, you know, they, you go in there and all the women are doing all the work and the men are sitting around the table watching all the women do everything. This witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and the commandments of men that turn from the truth. Unto the pure all things are pure. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. For they profess that they know God, but in their works they deny Him, becoming abominable, disobedient, and unto every good work they are reprobate.